Welcome to the Brutal, Bizarre, and Boozy Podcast. I'm Declan, the son. And I'm Jane, the mom. Enjoy a drink with us while we tell you some wild stories of the brutal and bizarre variety. Please keep in mind some of our stories might be upsetting to young or sensitive ears. This is the podcast where we talk about brutal crimes, bizarre occurrences, and get you drunk with cocktails themed around one of our stories. To lighten things up, we like to end our time with a chaser. Alrighty, Jane, tell us about the cocktail you have planned for us today. So I have brought the Midori Sour, um, which is comprised of two ounces of Midori, a half ounce of lime juice, half ounce of lemon juice, and two ounces of soda water. The reason I chose this drink was for the color, which will tie into the story that I'm going to tell soon. But I first wanted to give some information about Midori itself as a liqueur. So Midori is made in Japan. Uh, It started in 1964 and it was brought to the U.S. in the late 1970s, first making its debut at a tasting at the famed Studio 54. The Midori Sour is a classic drink from the 1980s, and Midori itself is made from Japanese muskmelons and a cantaloupe-like fruit. They're distilled and then combined with brandy, sugar, and food coloring to make it the well-known bright green color. And you definitely cannot miss the color of Midori. So that's that's kind of disappointing that it's just food coloring. I thought it was going to be something cooler. Right. But it does stand out. So yes. I guess if you're drinking it at a bar, everybody knows that you're uh, either drinking. Now they have the sour apple pucker. So you're either drinking that or Midori. Um, and Midori is mixed with different things for different uh, types of drinks you can make a special tea type drink with it but i went with the midori sour because it was one of my favorites many years ago um and so you take all those ingredients you mix them in a highball or a lowball glass with ice and then enjoy so now, let's give this a shot i don't have a highball glass but i do have a like one of those old fashioned dairy milk cartons. So I'm drinking it out of that. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. It's Melanie. It's Melanie. Yeah. I like it. Quite tasty. I, it's a lot better than I was expecting because I tried some of that Midori on its own and it is fucking gross. It's gross. Yeah. You don't drink it's it by nasty. itself. You, it's like you have to mix it. Yep. You have to mix it with other things. No, I didn't have Midori. I had to find a replacement because my liquor store didn't have any. But uh, all I can say is I hope Midori is better than Dick Cooper's Melon.
Okay, Jane, how does this cocktail tie into your story? Well, I picked it for the color green and the green factors in to part of the story, which you'll find out very soon. So I will start with my story. My story is about uh, Jesse Pratt. So driving down the highway is a common occurrence for many people. As we pass by towns and rest areas, we might focus on the road ahead and wonder how much longer our drive will take. Today, rest areas often contain bathroom facilities, maybe a snack or drink vending machine, and lighting for all times of the day. But decades ago, that wasn't always the case. During the summer of 1986 in central Oregon, there was a remote rest area that lacked all the modern conveniences. It was behind a wall of trees and had no nighttime lighting. It was basically a turnout off of Highway 97, buried it's in the like gravel. A little rest area. Yeah, it it didn't really have much in the way of facilities. It was just like a turn just off of the highway, essentially. Yeah. Okay, I know what you're talking about. Um, buried in it was basically a turnout. Yeah, um, buried <laughs> in the gravel, police made a grisly discovery, and that was the body of a woman. Not something I want to find when I stop at a rest area. Yeah, imagine you got a flat tire and trying to change it and you look over. Just some dead lady staring at you. Yeah. So in mid-June 1986, a man driving down Highway 97 outside of Klamath Falls, Oregon, sees something on the side of the road and stops to take a look. He finds a sleeping bag with some items inside that appear to have blood on them. So he delivers the bag and the items to the Oregon State Police. The bloodstained items inside of the sleeping bag include women's white tennis shoes, a woman's purse, some items of clothing, and a bundle of duct tape and green paper towels. I see a lot of stuff on the highway when I'm driving. I'm not stopping to look at any of it. Unless it's like an intact sofa or something valuable. I'm not going to go dig through those garbage bags on the side of the road. Yeah. Well, this, I think it was just such an odd thing that it was a sleeping bag. And he probably was just curious what it was. I don't know. But it was definitely important that he stopped and, and found it. Yeah. It might not have. This We might not even be talking about that right now. This Exactly. Right now, exactly. Look through that bag. Um, the ID inside of the purse is for a 20-year-old woman, Carrie Love. Police discover that Carrie Love works for a trucking company outside of Seattle, Washington, which is over 400 miles away, and that two days before she had gone on a work trip with her boss at the company, 42-year-old Jesse Pratt. They were headed from Seattle to Los Angeles, and the route would take them along Highway 97, where her items were located. Police searched the highway and decided to investigate at a gravel rest area by the town of Chimalt. Love's body was located buried in the gravel of that rest stop. This is the turnout that I mentioned. The one right before Chimalt? 
Yes, it's just south oh, of Shemult. I've now, stopped there many times. Now it is actually a full rest area, and I'm sure there's lighting at night. But back in the day, it was basically just, it was gravel. There was no pavement or anything like that. It was just gravel. Oh, just like the rest of those little like service roads out there? Yeah. And uh, also, sorry to anyone listening, my cat is wreaking havoc in this room right now she's attacking me and jumping on some stuff so if you hear that uh sorry i didn't hear her at all okay good um she had uh carrie love had multiple stab wounds and her body appeared to have been run over by a large vehicle with bruising and marks on her arms forensics didn't find any biological evidence on carrie but they did find some red fibers in her hands. While looking further into Carrie's background, the police interviewed her boyfriend. He told police he thought Pratt had an obsession with Carrie because he caught Pratt watching the two of them as they left a dance a month before the trip. Police were able to contact Pratt by phone and discovered he was in Phoenix, Arizona. He stated that shortly after the beginning of their trip, Carrie wanted to fly to L.A. instead of driving because she felt uncomfortable driving with him after they had consensual sex. It's a Pratt, little strange. Yes. After? After. You won't ride in the guy's car, but you'll ride his car? Right. And then be like, um, no, I'm going to fly to L.A. I'm still going to go, but I'm going to fly. Did, now, did he fly too, or did he drive? No, he drove. He oh, drove in weird. his semi. Yeah. Uh, oh, she did. She just didn't want to ride in the big rig. That's what it is. Right after she had sex with him, but she was okay having sex with him. This is his story. She was okay having sex with him, but then she didn't want to ride in the uh, semi with him. Yeah, she um, didn't want to be seen riding passenger in the truck. Right. Um. Pratt said that he drove her to the Seattle airport and dropped her off, then drove to L.A. alone. After talking to Pratt, the Oregon State Police issued an APB for his 18-wheeler, which was detained outside of Phoenix, Arizona. Oregon State Police went to Arizona to question him, and he was advised by an attorney not to speak with the police. Although Pratt didn't talk with the police, they were able to retrieve a red shirt he was wearing. The fibers on that shirt ended up matching the fibers found in Carrie's hand. While inspecting his truck, police found duct tape and green paper towels that looked similar to the ones found with Carrie's belongings. Also, though, that's pretty common stuff to find on a semi-truck. Yes, but it was the green paper towels. I've never seen green paper towels. Maybe they're talking about those, like, teal shop shop paper towels like for cars but those aren't really green yeah they were they were just described as green paper towels and they were matching the green paper towel duct tape bundle so remember when the police were given the sleeping bag with all the contents in it there was green paper towels wrapped up with duct tape okay and so they were able to link those two together. They were similar looking. And so they tied that Get in the together. Description. 
Yes. Okay. Um, they also found a gas receipt for. Oh, wait, no. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. They also found a gas receipt for a station south of Seattle from the day the pair started their trip. A gas station employee remembered seeing Carrie and Pratt together, so the police were able to prove he didn't take her to the airport as he had claimed. So that whole story of her flying to L.A. was nonsense, and they were able to prove it because witnesses put them together. Yeah, I I had a feeling that just seemed fishy. Right. It was shady. <laughs> like, yep. she'll, she'll have sex with you, but not ride in ride the with you. semi. Yeah. Yeah, nonsense. Um, Initial inspection of the truck tires did not show a match of the tread pattern with the marks on Carrie's arms, but the tires were kept as evidence anyway. Although the case was largely circumstantial in 1988, Pratt was found guilty of murder. The conviction was later overturned, though, and there was a new trial. During the new trial, the tires were inspected more thoroughly by a tire tread expert who determined the bruising on Carrie's arms was not from the outer tread of the tire, but from the gaps in the side of the tires. So not the part that necessarily rubs on the road where the tread is and the pattern is pretty distinct, but you know, if the, the kind of like the sidewall where the side of the tire meets the tread, Mm -hmm. there's those, uh, there's like a ridge and then a valley and then a ridge and a valley. And so there's like specific gapping. That's like what the, the, the furthest part of the tread closest. To the yes. Side. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So the tire tread expert was able to match that bruising with the gap pattern on the tires. Okay. Which was, really unique because one of the gaps was a different size than the others, which meant the tire had been retreaded and the bruising showed where the splicing of the old tire and the new tire had occurred. Wow. That, I, that part of the tire is like a fingerprint. Like it takes the most amount of wear. So it, it's going to be different for every vehicle. Right. And because of the the fact that it was a retreaded tire and the the gapping wasn't uniform, he just happened to be that it was the bruising matched that gapping pattern. So matched up perfectly. Yes. Now the further part of the story is that the investigators were able to find the supplier of those specific tires. And the supplier had sales records showing that the sale of those tires was to the trucking company where Pratt was employed. Ding, ding, ding. Yes. So based on all of that information, Pratt was convicted at the end of his second trial in 1991. He was sentenced to death, but that sentence was later commuted to life without parole. And at the time of recording this show, Jesse Pratt is still alive in the Snake River Correctional Institution, and he is 88 years old. I think I'd rather just take death than life in prison. If I 
remember correctly from reading information about him, he had requested for his sentence to be commuted. And eventually, I guess that happened because he it it's been commuted and I'm not sure the process of that, but yeah, he is still alive and 88 years old. Well, I guess he has to live with what he did. That seems worse than getting the electric chair. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, fuck him and everything (laughs) he did. Right. No kidding. It's just really lucky that the uh, police officers were able to find her and fairly quickly. I mean, this all took place within a couple of days when it could have been much longer. And in June, you just don't know what the weather is going to be like in that area in June. It could have been 80 degrees and there could have been a lot of problems recovering any kind of evidence from her. So it wasn't for that one guy stopping to look through that garbage bag on the side of the road, the sleeping bag. Oh, it was a sleeping bag. It was a sleeping bag. It wasn't a garbage bag. It was a sleeping bag with with things inside. I thought it was just like a black garbage bag on the side of the road. I'm like, why why is that guy stopping to look through that? Nope. It was a sleeping bag with, um, with all the items inside. Okay. That's a little more, more suspicious. Right. All righty. So Declan, what kind of story have you got for us today? So today I have the story of Linda Ortega. Uh, While most of us enjoy taking a nice hike with family or friends, after hearing the story of Linda Ortega, you may reconsider. I'm not a big hiking fan, so I probably would have already reconsidered. You guys made us take so many hikes i remember specifically we went on a hike in the woods around our neighborhood and it took us like the whole afternoon and it spat us out on the fucking like on that weird twisty road by our house right and how many times did we do that before and after that okay well i guess it was just (laughs) once but it was one bad time (laughs) okay on saturday september 22nd 2012 53-year-old Linda Ortega and her brother Eddie Huff went for a short hike in the Buffalo River National Park. While on their hike, the pair ended up getting lost and struggled to find the trail that they had previously been walking on. The pair ended up spending the night in the park, and on Sunday, the two spent the whole day trying to find help or a way out. However, and that is why I don't want to go hiking. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to go get lost in Buffalo River National Park. I'm going to get lost. <laughs> Just saying. However, their efforts to get home proved unsuccessful and the pair remained in the forest until Sunday night. Monday, September 24th is where things take a turn. 
On Monday, Eddie returned home after being missing for several days. Eddie's family had lots of questions about what had happened. Amongst the questions, the family members asked where Linda was, to which Eddie responded, Oh, I just dropped her off with a relative in town. While being questioned by his loved ones, Eddie realized that he had no recollection of what had happened to either him or Linda. He just remembers pulling into the driveway. After calling said relative, it was determined that Linda was in fact not at the relative's house and a search was launched to find Linda Ortega. Three days after the search was launched, Linda was discovered about two miles away from the entrance of the park. Searchers brought Linda to the hospital where she was able to recount some of the things that had happened to her. And here's Linda's story. Her and Eddie left the trail to search for a fishing spot that Eddie was recommended. They soon got lost and had to spend the night in the forest. On Monday, Linda just got up and ran away from the camp. She's not positive for her reasoning for leaving because she has spotty memory, both her and Eddie but she thought it was because Eddie was hurt. At this point, Eddie had made it out of the park and gone home. After Linda had taken off, he just found his way to the parking lot, got in his car, drove home. So she ran off and he gets up and goes, oh, my sister's gone. I think I'll just go home. Yep. Okay. I don't yeah. want to go hiking with him. Well, neither one of them can really fully recollect, like, what happened after they got lost. It's, oh, okay. Like, neither one of them knows. Okay. So, while Linda was running and screaming for help, she spotted what appeared to be a group of hikers off in the distance. After noticing this group of people, Linda tried to get their attention by waving her arms and screaming. Linda stated that the group of hikers noticed her and began to look at her. But as she got closer to them, the group scattered and hid behind trees nearby. That's this kinda, shady. Yeah, this kind of threw Linda Linda off. She, she was a little apprehensive to approach them after that. So uh, as Linda got even closer to the group, uh, a few of the members peered out from behind the tree and stared at her. This made Linda very scared, so she stopped and began slowly walking away from the group, like while facing them. So she's backpedaling while keeping an eye on the hikers that she saw. As she yeah. keeps her eyes on the group, uh, when she got far enough, the group came out from behind the trees and just stood still and began to stare at Linda, not moving. That's weird. Yeah, I, I think I'd need a new pair of underwear at this point. Ditto. Linda struggled to remember all the details and events that occurred, but her next memory consists of her laying down at night in the pitch black forest. While laying there, she heard multiple footsteps walking around her, but she couldn't see anything or anyone near her. This lasted for the rest of the night. That's terrifying. Yeah. I, I again, new underwear time. Yep. Ugh. It just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Oh, for sure. I don't want to go in the forest. Thanks. No yeah. hiking. No forest. No, thank you. <laughs> You'll stick to the, the streets walking yeah. on the road. Hey, yep. I'm not going to get lost like that. 
Yeah. Uh, so the last memory she has before being rescued happened around dawn the day before. So it was still dark, but she could still kind of see the layout of the forest. It was uh, super early in the morning, so the sun had just risen, but can't really see. In a forest like that, it, it's really hard to see. Right. It's still shaded and, and kind of dark. Yeah. Gotcha. So when she woke, she had the feeling that she was being watched. She looked around her, but she couldn't really see anything before hearing some rustling nearby. She I turned. don't like it. I don't like yeah. it at all. Yeah. You, you wake up in the woods alone. No no tent. No, she didn't. She wasn't prepared. She just thought it was going to be a little walk through the woods. Right. She just got lost. So she doesn't have anything with her. She's just sleeping in the woods and she hears rustling all around her. Mm. No, I'm getting eaten by something or no, I don't like it. Nope. Nope. I think I'd prefer to see an animal after re after knowing about this story. So, oh, Okay, yeah. so it's not, oh. Uh, she okay. turned and looked to see uh, the silhouette of a man just staring at her. When she notices, she she kind of freaked out and started looking around. She noticed one and another one. And then soon she realized she was surrounded by silhouettes of people staring at her. When the silhouettes, silhouettes. noticed. Huh? Okay, go ahead. When the silhouettes notice they've been spotted by Linda, they all turn and just start sprinting into the forest away from her. This absolutely horrified Linda, but luckily she was rescued the next day. While Linda is perfectly fine, these events still remain unexplained and haunt Linda and Eddie to this day. I would be haunted as well. So the silhouettes yeah. were like just a shadow figure. There was like no face. No nope, she, discernible features. She couldn't see any features. It was just like a shadowy figure of a person. Yuck. No. Yeah. I don't like horror it. Movie, horror movie shit. For sure. Nope. I'm out. I'm tapping out at that one. Yeah, that's pretty fucking freaky. Yeah. I had a similar thing happen. That's why I, I really was interested in this story. I don't know if... We ever told you about this, but uh, I think I was like 10. And when we were doing the hiking, camping trips with dad and uh, our family friends. And uh, we one time it was during the summer, so there wasn't really any weather. But I remember one time we were just sleeping on a tarp. Uh, and I woke up before everyone else. It was probably. It wasn't dawn yet, but it was it was pretty early, so it must have been around like three three in the morning and i couldn't sleep i look like i was just staring out into the sky and i turn my head and look like into the woods around us and i just see like this big shadowy object walk like kind of looking at me from behind the tree and then just like walk away ew yeah no that, that really that Oh gosh, I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. That that's like burned into my memory. So was that the first backpacking camping trip, or was that the last one? Did we do two or three? Oh, I can't remember if it was two or three. 
because I remember we did one. I think we did two with just I think one you did. family friends, and then we did another one with more people for one. I of my think birthdays. so, and I think and- the the extra people were on the last trip. Yeah, I think it must have been the the second time then. Because it wasn't the first. I wouldn't have gone back if it was the first. Even at the second, I, there wouldn't be a third. If that <laughs> happened to me, I would not do it again. I'd be like, nope, not going well, to the woods. I think it was out. the third time that we brought Hero, the dog, yes. our, our, our dog at the time. So I felt more safe. I knew he was oh. going to protect me from anything. Right. <laughs> Any yes, that's creepy true. forest shadow people. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> uh-uh. Nope. So this is part of our show where we like to lighten things up a little bit with a little chaser. And bring the mood to a happier place. So Declan, what do you have for a chaser for us today? So I have a two-part chaser. Oh, two parts. Okay. Yes. So the first part is we are now on Spotify uh, and several other podcast platforms. Yay! You can find these uh, they're linked in the bio of our Instagram. The Instagram is brutal underscore bizarre underscore boozy at Instagram. Nice. And the second parter is another recommendation of something to watch. <laughs> okay. So you've watched The Office, right? Actually, I'm embarrassed to say no, I have not watched The Office. I think I tried to watch one episode a long time ago and for whatever reason couldn't get into it. And so, no, I have not watched it. It's all right. It, honestly, in my opinion, it wasn't that great. Very overrated. But, okay, uh, good to know. <laughs> I found a show that's better. It's shot in a very similar style. It's called Abbott Elementary on HBO Max. It's uh, about like a a group of teachers at an elementary school that's pretty underfunded in Philadelphia, and it's fucking hilarious. Awesome. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's it's a good watch. I watched the whole season in like two days. Uh, Do you know how many seasons there are now? There's just one out right now. Okay. I think it came out uh, in 2021. Okay. So So hopefully there's another season coming. I really hope. Okay. I can binge it pretty well then. Yeah. It's very bingeable. Awesome. Awesome. So tell me about your chaser, Jane. My chaser is a, is an author recommendation. So not just a specific book, but a specific author. And that is Harlan Coben. I have been reading his books for ever uh, started reading. He has a a series that he wrote with um, a specific Myron Bolitar was the character and he's got, I can't even remember how many books are in the Myron Bolitar series, but he's got a lot of other standalone books and those standalone books have been turned into uh, 
short series on Netflix. I believe there's seven of them that he's got on Netflix now. Mm-hmm. And I just saw recently that uh, he had done a young adult series that they just started shooting the series for the young adult books. So really excited. I have loved every single book that I have read of his. I have read them all. So I highly recommend him. Do you know what the uh, Netflix series are? Because I think I've seen two of this. There are a lot. So his Netflix series are Hold Tight, Stay Close, The Stranger, The Innocent, Safe, The Woods, and Gone for Good. Okay. I think I've seen Safe and The the Woods one in the woods. woods. Okay. Um, All of the ones on Netflix are set in Europe. And for whatever reason, I don't know why they were all in Europe. Um, But the new one that's the young adult, I believe the show is going to be called Shelter. Um, That is being filmed in the U.S. So is this Harlan Coven from Europe? No, he is from New Jersey. (laughs) Okay, weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that is my chaser. And my recommendation. Perfect. For all you bookworms out there, should enjoy that. Yes. Alrighty, folks. Thank you for checking out our fourth podcast now, I think. I think this is five. Maybe four. I don't know. I don't know. Thanks for checking out our podcast and listening (laughs) to us. Yes. So we we appreciate your support. Definitely. And. If, please follow us and subscribe. And if you would like to give us a wonderful rating, we would greatly appreciate it.